0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians, chapter 1, verse 1, as we start uh, an adventure I think that will be edifying and kind of fun to work through. Uh, I was asked tonight, uh, what about Ecclesiastes? We broke off with Ecclesiastes about midway through when we stopped for the Truth Project and we will finish Ecclesiastes one day, just not right now. I really feel a need to to talk about Galatians a bit, in light of, really in light of some of the things we talked about this morning. You know, Galatians is a book about discernment. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Galatia, probably one of his earliest letters. As a matter of fact, some of the dating of this, uh, be sure John takes notes over there if you don't mind. He looks so cute over there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love babies in worship. Uh, precious, Um, perhaps written by some dating within 10 to 12 years of Christ's crucifixion. Uh, A very early date is many times given to this book. Uh, The Apostle Paul, one of the things that gives it away is Paul does not mention the Jerusalem council in here, which was early on in the debate about whether Gentiles could get into the church or not, whether they could really be a part of the Christian uh, faith and where they could come to Christ or not, or was it that exclu- it was exclusionary just for the Jews? And so Paul doesn't mention that here and, and it was such a major thing that would have played in so well to what the whole story of Galatians is. It, it gives it an indication that this letter was probably written prior to the Jerusalem Council. And so Paul writes to this church, a church that he administered at a church that he had gone through this, the, the land and had preached the gospel, and men had been saved, women had been saved, and a church had been established. And, and then after that establishment of that church, as Paul moved on, others came in. And they began to, uh, probably Judaizers, probably those who came in and, and said, well, you know, Jesus is fine and Jesus is important, and you've got to trust in Christ, but... You've also got to have circumcision. You've got to go through the ritual of the Jewish faith in order to get full access and full entrance into the Christian faith. And so you guys have got it a part of it all right, but you've got it backwards. You you trusted Christ first, and you first have to go through the ritual of circumcision and the rituals of the the Jewish faith in order to, to really be made right with God so that then you can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul never preached anything like that. And so when Paul heard about that taking place and heard that many there in in Galatia were beginning to turn their back on what he had taught and began to buy into some of the false teachings that were coming into that uh, particular region and into that particular church, Paul was appalled. Paul was appalled by it. That was a slip. I didn't mean that. But but Paul was. And he he wrote them back and he said, you know, he, he you can almost feel a little bit of anger, righteous indignation, no doubt, but a little bit of anger in Paul's voice as he writes these words to the church at at Galatia. You know how long, how how foolish are you? How how can you be so misled when you've been given the truth, you've been taught the truth, you believe the truth, and you followed the truth, and now you turn your back on it and you reject it to go after a false notion of what the faith really is. So Paul is calling on this church at Galatia to be discerning, to think, and to evaluate, and to know what God's Spirit has said through the prophets and through the apostles, and what God has done through Jesus Christ and what they've been taught. And he's saying to the Galatians primarily, you need to be a discerning people. You need to not take everything at face value, just as we do to need to do today. We live in a day where the church has probably been misled by more false teachers, more false prophets, more charlatans than at any other time in the history of the church, perhaps maybe other than Galatians, the Galatians, and how they were led astray. Why the church today will believe anything, accept anything, if they say the name of Jesus and they say that they're from God, then they must be because that's what they say. But as we'll see as we move through this book, we'll come to understand, I hope, that not everything that just says Jesus and not everything that says, I am from God, is really from that source. Indeed, there are a lot of people who use the name of Jesus for their own profit, who use the name of Jesus for their own benefit, and Paul is concerned about that. Listen to what he says to the Galatians. We'll read the first 10 verses, may or may not look at all of them tonight. Paul, an apostle, and then parenthetically he says, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God Our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. That's his introduction. That's his salutation, if you will, greeting them. Then he says, I'm amazed. I'm shocked that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now, there's a lot, of, lot in these first ten verses that we could look at and we could evaluate and think about as we get started. And I, wanna, I don't want to give the whole thing tonight because I want us to think about it and, and work through it in a very careful way. But just in those first five verses, in that introductory passage that the Apostle Paul writes there, he, he says several things. First of all, he establishes his authority. He says, Paul, an apostle. Now that should have been enough. But you see, a lot of the people who are coming to Galatia and proclaiming a different gospel and a different message, they also claim to be apostles. They said, oh, we're we're an apostle just like Paul is. Uh, And and they they couldn't give quite their credentials and quite the pedigree that Paul could, but they still claim to have the same apostolic authority. So Paul makes it clear in that parenthetical note that I'm apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul says, my authority is not a man-given authority. My authority is not coming from Peter or James or the church at Jerusalem or anybody else. My authority is from Jesus Christ. And, And no doubt he would have recounted to them when he was there about that Damascus Road experience how he was traveling to persecute the church and Jesus appeared to him in a vision, a bright light, and he fell blind and he went on into the city and there his eyesight was restored. And then for three years he went away into the desert literally and studied with no one but Christ. He didn't have Peter and John and James teaching him what he believed. He went and spent time with Christ. And so Paul says, I want you to know what I told you is true, and I'm not an apostle that has been sent by men or through any kind of agency of man, but I come only in the name and only in the authority of Jesus Christ and God the Father. And I want you to know I, am, I taught you the truth, and you ought, to, you ought to continue following that which you believed is, is the implication there, even in verse 1. And he brings greetings from all the brethren who were with him to the churches... In Galatia. Now, notice there the word plural, churches in Galatia. This probably was a letter that was sent to the region. There were more than one church there. And all of them had been infected by this false teaching. Remember this morning we talked about the the glory of God and knowing who God is. We talked about virus and how a virus is very small, very tiny, but once it gets in, it multiplies and it infects and, and it grows and it makes the body sick. Well, that's what was happening in Galatia. They were being infected by a virus that was from the world and from the devil and, and uh, that was contrary to the teaching of God. And, and Paul grieved over that. Anytime a pastor sees his people following after something that is less than what is the truth, something that is less than what God has revealed, it's a, it's a matter of grief for a pastor. And while Paul was not the pastor of the church at Galatia in the sense of he lived there among them, Paul was itinerant in his ministry. Paul had a pastor's heart, and it broke his heart to see that sort of infection, that sort of viral infection beginning to spread, because he knew it would be deadly if allowed to run its course. In verse 3, he says, I want you to know I, I, I come to you and I, I share with you grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. I, that's always been one of my favorite uh, introductions to any of Paul's letters. Because in those few little words there, he expresses so much of the gospel. The gospel is by grace. The gospel brings peace of God and peace with God. And it's from the Father, through Jesus Christ, his Son. And Christ gave himself, in other words, sacrificed himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Paul says, listen, the age that you live in is evil and there's all sorts of forces out there in opposition to God. And and Jesus has, by his sacrifice and by his grace, rescued you out of it. If you're a Christian here tonight, you are such because Christ reached in and rescued you from a perverse and an evil generation. And what, happened, what is happening with the Galatians and what is happening in so many of our churches today, we, we are saved out of that generation. We are saved from that evil generation, but we kind of go back and flirt with it just a little bit. We go back and we, we, we touch the old things that we used to touch and we, we, we think about the things that used to be a part of our life that Christ saved us from. And those become captivating things because our minds don't discern right from wrong, evil from good, and truth from error. Paul says it's by grace. It brings peace. It, it gives us freedom. You know, one of the things that Paul is going to deal with in this book, when, he, when he, freedom when he rescued us, he set us free from, from being held captive. One of the things that I find in the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century it was this way in the 20th century too also, is so, so many times the, cur- the church gets caught up in legalism, in, in what I do and what I don't do. And so since I don't do it, you ought not do it. And if I do it, you ought to do it. And that has nothing to do with what Scripture says. Sometimes it's just cultural norms. Sometimes it's just you know, traditions, sometimes it's any number of things. And, and, and we get so caught up in that. And the tradition takes over and the cultural norms take over. And we find ourselves enslaved to that. We find ourselves enslaved to, to, to legalisms, to do's and don'ts. And, and we make that to be Christianity. And it is not Christianity, folks. It is moralism. And that's all it is. This morning, one of our men told me about a sign. I don't know where I couldn't exactly figure out where it was, but somewhere between here and Mount Vernon on the uh, cutoff there, uh, there was a church sign. I don't think of one church out there, so it might have been this church. But he, he was telling me he passed by it this past week. He, it was on Friday. He actually called me on Friday night, and I wasn't able to talk to him. We talked this morning. And he said, you know what I saw on this sign? He said, I'd never heard this before. He said, but on this sign, it said, Love God with all your heart and do as you please. Well, I told my, our church member that saw it uh, that that's a, that's a Lutherism. That's a, a little bit of a change of paraphrase on what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther says, love God and sin boldly. Not exactly like that. But love God with all your heart and do whatever you please. Now, the problem is we sometimes leave off the first part. And when they go, well, I go to church so I can do whatever I please. That's not what the sign is saying. The sign is saying if you love God with all your heart, if you are passionate about being obedient to Him, if your your motivation in life is to know Christ and be obedient to Christ, then you ought to be able to do whatever you want to do. Because what you want to do will be dictated by the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, and you will only want what He wants. You follow? That's important. If we were walking with Christ in a passionate relationship, if we are walking with Christ in a prayerful relationship, day by day, evaluating not just the the old cliche of what would Jesus do, but evaluating life through the eyes of Christ and saying, Lord... What would you have me do? Show me for you were what you'd have me to do. Every, and, and if we were praying, like the psalmist said, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The psalmist is not saying there, if you delight in God, you can ask for a new Porsche. I've been doing that since I was 16 years old. And I still haven't gotten it. Because that's not what he's talking about. He said, delight yourself in the Lord. Put your, put your pleasure in in Jesus Christ. Find your pleasure in Jesus Christ and he will give you the right kind of desires for your life. He will direct you. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and do as you please if the first part of that is is followed. Our problem is we delight ourselves in the world, don't we? We delight ourselves in ourselves. We delight ourselves in... And thinking we're right and everybody else is wrong. The psalmist said, and Paul will say in this book, delight in Christ, follow Christ, love Christ, and don't get caught up with human traditions. Because human traditions will enslave you. They will bring you into bondage. And he says here in verse 4, he has rescued you. He has set you free. He gave himself for our sins. He's redeemed us out of our sins. He's forgiven our sins. He's broken the power of sin on our life. And and we ought to live in that kind of freedom. That's what grace is. I've got a a friend in Orlando. He's written some books. You may have seen one from time to time. Uh, He The way he says things sometimes even makes my skin crawl just a little bit. But his name is uh, Steve Brown. And and Steve Brown is probably the most free man in grace that I've ever known. I mean, he loves to talk about the grace of God and how it just changes you and how you ought not be caught up in the legalisms of life. And, And while I cringe a little bit at the way he says some things, I may share a few of those. When we go through Galatians. Need a book on Galatians. It's pretty good. But I cringe a little bit in my own skin when he says that. I know he's right. That if we are following Christ, we don't need man-made rules. We don't need to be brought into bondage again. But we need to be set free by the presence of Jesus Christ. Well, that's how Paul starts out this letter to the Galatians. This is what he's saying. Listen, you are free. You have the grace of God. You have the peace of God and peace with God. If you're following the Lord Jesus Christ and if he has done a work in your life, a real work of grace in your life, and he's given you life, enjoy that freedom. Live in that freedom. Then he talks about, starting in verse 6, this perversion of the gospel. These that have come in. Now, he's going to deal with it more in depth as he moves on. But he's going to say this. He's going to say, listen... I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not really another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, that is if I come back to Galatia and I start telling you certain things and in that particular point, I'm telling you things that I have already taught you contrary to this, don't listen to me. Because Paul realizes he is is a man too that could be deceived. He said, I'm telling you the truth here. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what what we preach to you, he is to be accursed. And I've said before, and I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Now, now this is where, with Paul, I say he shows just a little bit of anger, a little bit of righteous indignation. Because that word accursed is not a very nice term in polite company. Basically, it's the word he is to be consigned to hell. He is to be damned. If they're preaching, this is how seriously Paul took the gospel message. This is how seriously Paul took what he was saying to this particular group of believers. He said, I want you to know I preach the gospel. And I taught you about Christ. And I want you to know that there's a serious matter of changing. So if I come and preach differently, or even if an angel from heaven comes, does that sound familiar at all? Huh? Satan? Satan? I'm talking a, a contemporary cult. Mormonism said, so the angel Moroni came and gave these tablets. Paul says, if an angel from heaven comes and tells you something contrary to this gospel, they are to be accursed. It's not from God. It's from the, the angel of darkness. It's from Satan himself. You see, what Paul is getting to here in these verses and, and I want to wrap up with something on this to get us thinking about what this book is all about. What Paul is talking about is becoming discerning believers. Looking at every message, looking at every teaching, looking at every teacher from the the point of view of what God's Word says. The, The greatest need or one of the greatest problems in the church that we live in today, and I'm talking about across the country and across the world, but also right here in Somerset, is the problem of a lack of spiritual discernment. I mean, we watch people that that teach weird things on television and think, ooh, that sounds interesting, that's new. I once heard a professor of mine in seminary said, if it's new, it's probably not right. And if it's right, it's probably not new. Curtis Vaughn used to say that regularly in New Testament class. If it's new, it's probably not right. If it's right, it's probably not new. Because God's given His revelation of Himself. God's given His truth, and it's come through the apostles and, and through the church, and it's met the test of time, and it's been, it's been prayed over and thought about, thought about and, and, and discerned and, and interpreted through the years. But Christians tend to believe whatever comes along that expresses itself as, quote, Christian, and that's problematic. You know, just because something claims to be, just because somebody claims an experience doesn't mean that experience is true. If that experience is not, is not tested by the Word. One of our problems in the contemporary church is we believe all experiences. And we start judging the Scripture in light of experience. It has to be the other way around. We judge experience in light of Scripture, there are all sorts of warnings in the in the New Testament about discernment and the need to be spiritually discerning. We'll look at one in a few weeks, uh, uh, maybe a long time from now. In Matthew seven fifteen, he said, "Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits." And he goes on to talk about grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. No, beware of false prophets because they're coming. In Matthew 24, 11, uh, Jesus speaking again, and he says these words. He says, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness, lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. There's that perseverance of all true believers. Or or verse verse 24 in that same chapter. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you this in advance. Or if you go over to Mark's gospel, Mark, Mark chapter 13. Give you a little Bible drill here right quick. Mark chapter 13, verse 22, where Jesus again speaking says, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. Or you can go over into some of the letters into 1 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Verse two, chapter two, and verse one. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as uh, there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce uh, destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Or First John, in First John four one, when he just simply says, "Brethren, beloved, do not believe every spirit." But test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and no, and now it is already in the world." See, all through the New Testament, there is that call for discernment, to watch, to judge, to discern between true and false teachers and true and false prophets. There are really about six principles that I think we need as Christians to develop today and understand today if we really want to follow Paul's exhortations in Galatians. They're very simple. One is to learn to exercise discernment while growing as a Christian in faith, love, and holiness. Just learn to be discerning as you grow, as you study the Word, as you pray. And as you hear things, don't immediately grab hold of them, but say, what does the Word of God say about that? And examine that. Search it. Secondly, develop a thorough and sound grasp of Scripture. Listen, it saddens me to know that there's so many Christians today that have no real grasp of what the Word says. Oh, they know a few stories. They know that, you know, uh, Moses built the ark. Isn't that right? Oh, it wasn't Moses, it was Noah, wasn't it? That's right. Well, close enough because Noah was swallowed by a fish. No, no, that was Jonah. I mean, they know there's these stories there, but they get them all confused sometimes. And stories are not the essence of the whole thing. You've got to know the truth behind the stories. Listen, I, I, I've got to be honest with you. I, am, I don't think there's anything that excites me more at Grace Baptist Church than what we're doing with our children and with our youth. They're being taught a clear, thorough, and sound grasp of the Bible. They're being prepared in ways that I was not prepared as a youth or a child. i got to be honest with you. I mean, I was told moralisms. I was told, you know, you be good because God loves good little boys and girls. And then I come up and find out I'm not good, so God must not love me, you know, because there's none good, no, not one, not even one. I'm told, you know, you you don't do that because if you want to get to heaven, you got to be good. Where did that come from? I was taught that in Sunday school, folks, in a Southern Baptist church. Where'd that come from? Didn't come from the Word. It came from distortion, it came from legalism, and bondage, and not freedom in Christ. Develop a thorough and sound grasp. But I'm so appreciative of of what Scott and Todd both do in in preparing those curriculum and working through those curriculum with our. Our youth and our children and the teachers involved there—they are—they're just a special gift of God to this church. Uh, the, the teachers and included in that in that group. Thirdly, learn to think in a logical, sensitive manner. And by that, I just simply mean learn to think things through. And and I, I use the word sensitive there, really, in a uh, to 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 be more accurate. I might want to say I might want to call it sensible manner. You know, learn to think about things in the light of Scripture and be willing to challenge. Just be willing to challenge. Remember, I said something tonight. I hope somebody will challenge me on it. I'll show, tell you what it is next week if nobody does. Study Christian doctrine, fourth. I didn't give error. I just made a mistake, and I'll just see if you caught it. Study Christian doctrine. Somebody will sit there the rest of the night now and try to say, well, what do you say? Fourth, study Christian doctrine. Read some of the great works of theology out of church history. You know, sometimes, I know I have a, a lot of friends, pastor friends, who won't read some of the, the great works out of, the, out, of the, out of church history. They won't read the, the uh, Puritans. They won't read, because, you know, they're, i got to be honest with you, they're hard to read. The best book I ever read, it's a two-volume set that I ever read, it took me five years to read it because I could only manage about two pages a day. But it was The Attributes and Existence of God by Stephen Charnock. And I tell you, I feasted on those two pages, but some days I would read two pages and then I'd go back the next day and read the same two pages again. Because I mean, let's face it, their language was really strange back then. They would think ours is strange today. But read some works, some great works out of uh, out of uh, theology, out of church history. Uh, I would encourage you to read. Uh, we just, he just celebrated his 500th birthday on Friday, uh, but I would uh, urge you to read John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. Now, I know. In Somerset, Calvin has a really bad name, you know. But he was a great theologian. He wasn't perfect, and he had his own problems. But I would encourage you to read things like that. It's amazing. Luther's works. Five, learn as much relevant information as you need to about a questionable teaching before accepting it. Take their time. Take what they're teaching and, and learn about it enough to be able to weigh it against the scripture. And then begin with foundational issues. Listen to what John said. If a spirit comes not confessing that Christ came in the flesh, then don't listen. You know, ask questions about the incarnation. Ask questions about creation. Ask questions about the atonement. Ask questions about the resurrection. Ask questions about uh, the things Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians fifteen as being the essence of the gospel. For this we delivered you as of first importance that Christ was born of virgin. But, uh, he was crucified. He rose on the third day. I mean, ask foundation. Those are foundational issues. And if a if a person comes, uh, there's a there's a particular a man who who has a lot of following, even among Baptists today. I'll tell you his name, T.D. Jakes, Bishop T.D. Jakes out of Dallas. T.D. Jakes denies the Trinity. He's a oneness guy, they call it, oneness Pentecostal. And he denies the Trinity. Well, if you deny the Trinity, you've ultimately got to get back to denying that Jesus Christ is the incarnation of the living God. Now, he would tell you he'd never deny that. But he doesn't believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as the Scripture teaches it. So you've got to be discerning about these. They use all the right words. They're very charismatic and they're very, very uh, enjoyable to listen to sometimes. But their, their message at the foundational issues is sometimes lacking greatly. So you have to watch that. So those are six principles of discernment. Paul in Galatians is going to call us to discernment. And I pray that we will be discerning believers. All right. I thought I'd get through a few minutes early. You could ask some questions, but we're out of time. So we'll uh, maybe do that next time. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you make us a discerning people. As we study this book of Galatians, as we look at the things that Paul dealt with to the church at Galatia, Lord, help us be protected from the same errors, Help us, Lord, to be protected from the legalism he's going to talk about and help us find real freedom in Christ that comes from loving the Lord Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then doing what we please because he is in control of our life. Father, help us to walk by your grace. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.